red arms. Give it your all. We'll, we'll drink the wine till the cup is dry and kiss the girl so they'll not cry and toss the dice until we fly and dance with Jack on the Shadows. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Tales of Red Arm. I'm your host, Justin, and we're jumping in through Chapter 14, Customs of Mayenne. And while this starts out in Perrin's point of view, it does not end in Perrin's point of view, so keep that in mind as we switch around. So we're starting out with Perrin shaking his head when Matt leaves his room. And he points out from his perspective, and this is very vital information because characters only ever give their perspective. Doesn't mean they're wrong, doesn't mean they're right, whatever. It's just they're giving their perspective of something. In this case, Matt would as soon as hit himself on the head with the hammer as go back to the two rivers. Not unless he must. So, two things here. One, he's not wrong. We saw in chapter 13 that he would like, like, Matt would not want to go home because he might, his mom might try to get him married. He might have to do this. He might have to do that. A couple things here, there, and otherwhere. But the point being that it's something where you could technically get him to go home, but he doesn't want to because then he'd have to. He feels like he have to go back to basically milking his his family cow and doing chores and being married to somebody that he didn't want to get married to because that's just the way the culture is there, I guess. Um, but parents like recognizing this, like I'd rather, he'd rather get hit on the head with a hammer than go back there unless he has to, not unless he must, which tells us something else about Matt is that despite not wanting to go back, if the two rivers was actually in danger and his family was actually in danger for sure, he would go back. The funny thing is, is he could always leave. It's not like they're going like, to tie him to a chair or a tree and then he can never leave again or, like, prevent him from crossing the ferry. If anything, he could hire some thugs or somebody to, like, mercs or something to, you know, help get him across there, control the raft, him go back, take care of things, come back, and then get across the raft, and he's scot-free. Like, what, what are they going to do? They ain't going to stop him. So we learned that he doesn't, he's like, he'd rather go home or he'd rather get hit on the head with a hammer than go home. And we also know that unless he has to, so he will still do it. He'll still be responsible. He'll still care about his family. But Baron wishes there was a way he could avoid going home as well, but there's not a way to do that. In fact, uh, it was as hard as iron and less forgiving. And the difference between Matt and himself is that he was willing to accept that even if he didn't want to. That's kind of what gives them different personalities. But he pulls his shirt off a little bit, careful as it could, because there's a large bruise that's beginning to fade to brown and yellows, staining his entire left shoulder, where a trollic had slipped past his axe and only Fahil's quick work with a knife had kept it from being more than it was. And the shoulder made washing a bit painful, but there's nothing to worry about cold water and tear. So he basically is packed and ready with a change of clothes in the morning remaining go out for saddlebags as soon as the sun rose he'd go out and find loyal and at no point in bothering you know loyal tonight because he's already abed probably and Perrin means to be following by shortly 
And Fahil is going to be the problem you hadn't figured out how to deal with. Even staying in tier would be better than her going with him. But the door opened, and it was surprising because he had this perfume waft in as soon as the door cracked, and it made him think of climbing flowers on a hot summer night. A tantalizing scent, not heavy, not to anyone but him, but Fahil would never wear. So he'd been, he had been more surprised when Barrelane stepped into his room. Holding the edge of the door, she blinked, making him realize how dim the light must be for her. Which is, again, something we mentioned in Chapter 13. Um, he's like, oh, you're going somewhere? With the light of the hallway's lamps behind her, it was difficult not to stare. He's like, yes, my lady. In the morning. And he's trying to bow smoothly if he could, but... Fahil will give all the sharp sniff she wants, but he doesn't see a reason to be impolite. That's just Perrin's character, his, his persona, if you will. He's like, ah, oh, so am I. She crosses her arms beneath her breasts. He looks away, watching from the corner of her eyes, so she does not think he's goggling. She goes on without noticing his reaction. Single candle flame was reflected in her dark eyes. So she's got dark eyes. Sounds about right. <laughs> Uh, after tonight, tomorrow I will leave by carriage for Godan, and from there take a ship for Mayen. I should have gone days ago, but I thought there might be a way to work matters out, only there wasn't. I should have seen that sooner. But tonight convinced me, and the way he... All the lightning flowing in the halls? Yeah, I'm going to leave tomorrow. Now, Godan, I believe, is a town in Tyr. That's not in Tyr, I don't believe. Um... But it's kind of between, like, it's, it's in Tyr. It's not in the city of Tyr. Um, it's in the, the country of Tyr. But it would be somewhere where you can get a ship and head to Mayan. Obviously, she's from Mayan. And that's a very small, country-ish type place between Tyr and Ilion. And they're always both fighting over it. Um, but he's like, why are you telling me this? And she's like, well, so you can tell the Lord Dragon, obviously. And he's like, well, you can tell him yourself. I've got no time to carry any messages before I go. He's like, uh, I don't think he wants to see me. And he's thinking, like, shh, any man would want to see her. She's beautiful to look at, and she knew both things. He thought he'd start to say something else. Could she be frightened by what happened that night in Rand's bedchamber, or the attack and the way Rand had ended it? And he's like, well, this wasn't a woman to frighten easily, not from the cool way she was eyeing him. He's like, you know, give your message to a servant. I doubt I'll see Rand again, not before I leave. Any servant will take a note to him. He's like, yeah, it would come better from you, a friend of the Lord. And he's like, give it to a servant, or one of Aiel. And she's like, you won't do as I ask? Just incredulous. He's like, no, weren't you listening to me? She tossed her head, but there's a little difference. And she, he could not have said what the difference was, but she's studying him thoughtfully, and she's like, such striking eyes. He's like, what? And suddenly he realized he was standing there naked to the waist, and her intense scrutiny abruptly seemed like the study of a horse before purchase. Next thing, she'd be feeling his ankles and inspecting his teeth. So he snatches a shirt meant for the morning from the bed and pulls it over his head, and he's like, give your message to a servant. I want to go to bed now. I mean to be up early, before sunrise. He's like, well, where are you going tomorrow? He's like, home, the two rivers. It's late. You are leaving tomorrow, too. I suppose you want to get some sleep. I know I'm tired. So he yawned as bigly as he could. But she doesn't make a move to the door. She's like, oh, you're a blacksmith. I have need of a blacksmith in Mayan, making ornamental ironwork. A short stay before returning to the Two Rivers? You would find Mayan 
entertaining. He's like, I am going home, and you are going back to your own rooms. I'm trying to say it as firmly as he possibly could. And her small shrug made him look away again hastily. He's like, Maybe another day. I always get what I want in the end. And I think I want, and she's eyeing him up and down, ornamental ironwork for the windows of my bedchamber. And she smiles oh so innocently. And he had the alarm gong sounding in his head. But the door opened, and Fayil comes in. Parent, I went to the city to look for you, and I heard rumor... Her eyes hit Barrelane pretty hard. And the first just ignores her, steps closer to Perrin, runs a hand up his arm across his shoulder for an instant. Thought he could try to pull down his head for a kiss, but she certainly lifted her face as if for one, but she only trailed her hand along the side of his neck in a quick caress and then stepped back. And it was over and done before he could move to stop her. She's like, remember... Like, uh, trying to say it softly, like, they're the only ones in the room, but obviously Fayil's there. I always get what I want. And it just sweeps past Fayil and out in the room. And he waited for an explosion from Fayil, but she just glanced at his stuffed saddlebags on the bed and was like, I see you heard the rumor already. It is only a rumor, Perrin. And he's like, yellow eyes make it more than just a rumor. But she should have been erupting like a bundle of dry twigs tossed in a fire. But why was she so cool? Well, Moraine's the next problem, then. Will she try to stop you? So, well, not if she doesn't know, and if she tries, I'll go anyway. I have family and friends, Fayil. I won't leave them to white cloaks. But I hope to keep it from her until I'm well out of the city. Even her eyes were calm, like dark pools in the forest. It made his hackles rise. But it had taken two weeks for that rumor to reach here, and it will take weeks more to ride to the two rivers. The white cloaks could be gone by then. Well, I've been wanting you to leave here. I should not complain. Just want to know what to expect. He's like, well, it won't take weeks, by the ways. Two days, maybe three. Two days. He supposed there was no means to get there faster. And she's like, you're as mad as Randall Thor. She drops on the foot of his bed and folds her legs crosswise and addresses him in a voice suitable for lecturing children. Go into the ways and you come out hopelessly mad. If you come out at all, which is most likely you will not. The ways are tainted, Perrin. You have... They've been dark for, what, 300 years? 400? Ask Loyal, he would tell you. It was the Ogier who built the ways or grew them or whatever it was. Not even they used the ways. Why, even if you managed to make it through them unscathed, the light alone knows where you'd come out. Now, this is a little bit of a weird one. Because, as I recall... um. It would have been 300 or 400 years dark. I don't remember the the age they went dark. It's just that over time they became corrupted and then obviously Machin Shin, the Black Wind, showed up. But from corruption. So, and she says it was Ogiers that built the ways or grew them or whatever it was, meaning she doesn't really know. But if I recall correctly, and if you are listening and you know the answer, please let me know. Um, if I recall correctly, it was... Men who could channel, who gave them the gift so they could get from basically steading to steading without having to experience the longing. And they had to build them outside of the Ogier steadings because it used the one power to make them and thus could not be made inside the steading. So they're literally like, think of it as like if the steading has a giant dome over it kind of thing. Like if every setting was a circle, which they're not for obvious reasons, but if the setting for whatever reason was circular, 
and you had imagine the trees were the boundary of this thing this way gate would be literally just outside of range of where that is basically you go from not feeling the power or like being in the setting and being cut off from the one power to being able to channel it's like basically right there is where it's at sometimes it's a little bit further away like maybe a mile but it's always reasonably close to the setting because the ogier are not so frail that they can't walk a mile outside of the setting and all of a sudden pop out the longing. That's not how that works. But I just wanted to clear that up because it shows that she's not aware of that type of stuff and that majority of that information is lost at this point. So don't just read that and ex expect that to be what it is and accept it. Um, the breaking is when that kind of stuff ended. So basically, they they toss down the Dark One, and then before the men, or it's not before, during the, the time of madness when the men are going insane, and they some are seeking refuge in the settings, and through the settings' safety, they, like, didn't go mad. But when they left, because they inevitably did leave, they, they made a gift for the Ogier, which were which were the way gates to allow them to be able to traverse and everything, um, but there was a lot of them, and then after the breaking, there was not that many of them. There, I mean, there's enough to be uh, like useful, but there weren't like the the lot of them that there actually used to be. Um, but basically, the men gave it as a gift to the Ogier, went out, went insane, got either put down or kill themselves, whatever the situation might be. And Perrin's like, well, I've traveled them. And it was a frightening trip to him. Loyal can guide me. He can read the guideposts for how we went before. He'll do it for me again because he knows how important it is. And Loyal was eager to be away from Tyr. He seemed to be afraid his mother knew where he was. And Perrin was sure he would help. And Fyle's like, well, rubbing our hands together. He's like, well, I want an adventure. And this is certainly it. Leaving the stone... Of Tear and Dragon Reborn traveling the ways to fight White Cloaks. I wonder if we can persuade Tom Merlin to come along. If we can have a bard, a gleeman will do. Oh, if only she knew. Um, he could compose the story, and you and I, the heart of it. No Dragon Reborn or I said I to swallow up the tale. When do we leave? In the morning? So he breathes in deeply, tries to steady his voice, and he's like, I'm going alone, Fael, just loyal and me. And of course, her response is, well, what you might expect is like, of course you are, and I'm coming with you. Uh, <laughs> little Samwise Gamgee humor. I'm going alone, Sam. Of course you are, and I'm coming with you. <laughs> it's like, we'll need a pack horse. Basically, like he didn't say anything. Two, I think. The ways are dark. We'll need lanterns, plenty of oil. Your two rivers people, farmers, will they fight the white cloaks? And he's like, Fayil, I said. And he's like, I heard what you said. Like snapping at him. And with the only single candlelight in the room, the shadows gave her a bit of a dangerous look, and her tilted eyes and high cheekbones helped as well. I heard, and it makes no sense. What if these farmers can't fight or won't fight? Who's going to teach them? You? By yourself? He's like, I'll do what has to be done without you. She bounced to her feet so fast that she was, that he thought she was coming for his throat. Do you think Berylene will go with you? Will she guard your back? And here's the explosion. Or perhaps you prefer her to sit on your lap and squeal. Tuck your shirt in, you hairy oaf. 
Now, here's the thing. is like he was taking it off. She interrupted it. Or not her, but like barely interrupted him. And he put one on to be decent. And now she's like, take your shirt in, you hairy oaf. Like, he's being indecent. And it's just like... But, uh... What? And see, the thing is, she doesn't know he had just taken off his shirt. She doesn't know that the bear lane had just gotten there. And from the appearance of his shirt being not tucked in, it could potentially have the appearing... Uh, the appearance, I should say, that he was spending time with Bear Lane in the little uh, doing the deed, so to speak. But obviously she didn't have any evidence of that. She just had her own imagination, which is probably way more wild than how Perrin would typically act in real life. Um, but she's like, does it have to be so dark in here? Bear Lane likes dim light, does she? Much good she will do you against the children of the light. Actually... <laughs> <laughs> That's where you're wrong, kiddo. Technically, Barrelane could show up with an, a small army and help be extremely helpful with a bunch of actual like veteran military units, comparative to like an Ogier, a blacksmith, a woman whose father is a mysteriously powerful person from Saldea, and you know some pack horses. Just just throwing that out there. Like, I mean, a heck, a hundred men. Possibly even 50 men of military uh, education, military background, military experience would do a lot more than what they got going on to them so far. Albeit, that would be very difficult to do because Andor being like, why are you on my territory? You Mayenners. Not like... Andor would hurt Mayan because they'd have to go really out of their way to do that. And it's not like they're thinking that Mayan's secretly plotting a takeover in their territory because Mayan's already got too many things to worry about. But at least what she says doesn't make a whole lot of sense. The parent opens his mouth to protest, but changed what he was going to say. He's like, well, she looks a pleasant armful, Barrelane. What man wouldn't want her to be on his lap? But then he sees the hurt on her face and it bound his chest with iron. It made himself go on, and he, despite this. When I am done at home, I, I may go to Mayan. She asked me to come, and I might. But Phyla doesn't say a word. She just stares at him with a face like stone. The world ran out, slamming the door with a crash. And despite himself, he starts to follow, but then stops with his hands gripping the door frame till his fingers hurt. Staring at the splintered gash his axe made on the door, he found himself telling it what he could not tell her. I killed White Cloaks. They would have killed me if I hadn't. But they still call it murder. I'm going home to die, Fayil. That's the only way I can stop them hurting my people. Let them hang me. I cannot let you see that. I can't. You might even try to stop it, and then they'd... His head drops against the door, and she would not be sorry to see the last of him now. And that was important. She could go find her adventure somewhere else, say from White Cloaks, Taviran, Bubbles of Evil. And that was all that was important. But he wished he didn't want to howl with grief. So, you remember the last episode I had mentioned Matt and Perrin's goodbyes to each other. And Matt saying, light bring you what you want. And him saying, I'm sure it will, but not being happy about it. That's what this is referencing. He's going back home to die. And that's what he wants, despite not wanting to do it. That's what he wants 
in order to save people. And that's how he thinks the light will make it happen. But now, it's not over, folks. Now we're switching to Fahil perspective. So Fahil's practically running through the halls, not really sure who she's passing or who scrambled out of her way. Just Perrin, Berylaine, Perrin, Berylaine. She's thinking, he wants a milk-faced vixen who runs about half naked, does he? Well, instead of her doing this for him, she just... <laughs> I can't, I can't. She continues with, he doesn't know what he wants. Harry Lummox, wooden-headed buffoon, blacksmith. Like, that's supposed to be an, like an insult. And that sneaking sow, Berylaine, that prancing she-goat. <laughs> like, the flurry of insults and everything this is hilarious. And she doesn't realize where she's going until she sees Berylaine ahead of her, gliding along in that dress that left nothing to the imagination, swaying along as if the walk of hers was not deliberately calculated to make males' eyes pop. I'm like, well, I mean... It is. It's that's literally what it's supposed to do, and it's kind of doing what it's supposed to do because that's her self-defense mechanism. It's pretty obvious for anybody who pays attention to Mayan, the issues of Mayan, and the first of Mayan herself. It's pretty obvious. But Fayil darts ahead of Berylaine, turns around, and basically faces her where the two corridors met. And she just snaps at her. Paranabara belongs to me. Keep your hands and your smiles away from... <laughs> Not your body, your smiles. <laughs> Keep your hands and your body away from him? Nope, nope. Keep your hands and your smiles. That's a strange one. And she flushed to her hairline when she heard what she had said. She had promised herself she would never do this. Never fight over a man like a farm girl rolling in the dirt at harvest. And Berylaine arches a cool eyebrow. It's like, belongs to you? Strange. I saw no collar on him. You serving girls, or are you farmer's daughter? You all have the most peculiar ideas. Serving girl? Serving girl? I am about to blow her cover, is what she's about to do. Um, Fayil bit her tongue to stop the furious words. It's like the first of man, indeed. And then this is where it's funny, because her Saldean comes out in her, in her mind. There were estates in Saldea larger than Mayen. She would not last a week in the courts of Saldea. Could she recite poetry while hawking? Could she ride in the hunt all day, then play the cittern at night while discussing how to counter trollic raids? She thought she knew men, did she? Did she know the language of fans? Could she tell a man to come or go or stay in a hundred more things, all while using just a twist of a wrist in the placement of a lace fan? Now here's the funny part. She's saying, oh, Berlaine knows all about men, does she? Could she? And then proceeds to do like literally nothing that just shows that she knows how to actually do it. Because in all reality, she hasn't really figured out Perrin. So she really doesn't know. But then she's like, light shine on me. What am I thinking? I swear I would never hold a fan again. But there were other Saldean customs. She's surprised to see the knife in her hand. And she had been taught not to draw a knife unless she meant to use it. Farm girls in Saldea have a way of dealing with women who poach others' men. If you do not, if you do not swear to forget Paranebara, I will shave your head as bald as an, e an egg. Perhaps the boys who tend the chickens will pan after you then. Which is kind of a funny, an insult if you think about it. But she's not really sure how, but Berylaine gripped her wrist, and then suddenly she's flying through the air. I mean, I think this is Aikido. <laughs> if I remember correctly. Or it could have been, uh, was it Judo? No, it would be Judo, not Aikido. It was Judo. Um, 
and then the floor comes crashing to her back and knocks all the air out of her lungs. And Berylaine stood smiling, tapping the blade of Fael's knife on her palm. It's like, custom man. The tyrants do like to use assassins, and the guards cannot always be close at hand. I despise being attacked, farm girl, so this is what I will do. I will take the blacksmith away from you and keep him as a pet for as long as he amuses me. Ogre's, uh, Ogier's oath on it, farm girl. He is quite ravishing, really, those shoulders, those arms, not to mention those eyes of his. And if he is a bit uncultured, I can have that remedied. My courtiers can teach him how to dress and rid him of that awful beard. Wherever he goes, I will find him and make him mine. You can have him when I am finished, if he still wants you, of course. Fayil struggles to get to her feet, pulling a second knife and trying to draw a breath. He's like, I will drag you to him and I will cut those clothes you are almost wearing and make you tell him you are nothing but a sow. She's like, Light Hammy, I am behaving like a farm girl and talking like one. And the worst part was she actually meant it. But Berylene sets herself warily. She meant to use her hands, obviously, not the knife. She held it like a fan. Fayil advanced on the balls of her feet. And then Ruark pops out of nowhere and is between them, towering over them, snatching the knives away before either woman was really aware of him. And he's like, have you not seen enough blood already tonight? Very coldly. Of all those I thought might be breaking the peace, the two of you would be the last named. And Fahil's just gaping at him. But without warning, she pivots, driving her fist towards Ruark's short ribs. The toughest man would feel it there. He seemed to move without looking at her, caught her hand and forced her arm straight to her side, twisted, and abruptly she's standing very straight and hoping he did not push her arm right up out of her shoulder. But like nothing happened, he turns to Bear Lane. He's like, you are going to go to your rooms and you will not come out until the sun is over the horizon. I will see that no breakfast is brought to you. A little hunger will remind you that there is a time and place for fighting. Now, I found this extremely fascinating. Because the Aiel are notorious warriors. Granted, they are honor-bound warriors, but they also fight over some, what would be considered, outside of the waste, as silly reasonings. And to a lot of cultures. Some of them could be silly because, oh, it's honor. That's silly. Why would you fight over honor? Some of this, like, oh, it's, it's literally like a cup worth of water. Or it's, it's a single goat. Like, really what you would consider silly stuff. But they just, like, go all out on this. But it's just, it, I found it strange that an Aiel's like, there's a time and place for fighting. And it's just like, is that just whenever you feel like it? Because, <laughs> I mean, really, all an Aiel has to do is go pull their shufa up, the, their, or actually not their shufa, their, their veil, pull their veil up, and they're basically good to go. Like, that's fighting. And that's not even, that's, I should say, that's killing, which involves fighting. But they don't even need that, technically, to start fighting. But Berlane's like, indignant. I am the first of man. I will not be ordered about, like... And Ruark's like, you're going to go to your rooms now. And Fahil's like, maybe I can kick him. But if she tense, because as she thought of it, he increased the pressure on her wrist. And she's on her tiptoes. Like, this guy's got superhuman understanding of situations and body, like, body signals and stuff like that. Like, this dude's, he's been around the block a, a few times. But he continues with Bear Lane. If you don't, we will repeat our first talk together, you and I. Right here. Berylaine's face went white, and then red, and then white, and then red, and so on and so forth. She's like, very well, all stiff-like. If you insist, I will perhaps. And he's like, I did not propose a discussion. If I can see you still when I have counted to three. One. But then Berylaine gasps and hikes her skirts and runs. But she even managed to sway doing that. And Fahil's like looking after her in amazement. 
and it was almost worth having her arm nearly disjointed. But Ruark was watching Berlin go with a small, appreciative smile on his lips. Now, this is the thing. This could be three possibilities. One, she's enjoyable to look at. Two, making a younger woman that is indignant and haughty do what he wants. Or three, both. <laughs> um, I'd like to think it's more of making her do as, like, behave like the child she is. Because, I mean, Ruark's a bit older. Like, he's 50s, maybe 60s. Like, he's an older fellow. Um, he's got the little silver fox gray look on him and everything, which is an interesting look on a red-haired person. Um, but he's also married to a very dangerous woman. <laughs> so, And I don't think... The Aiel have a very different idea and concept about sexuality. It's, it's, it's not the typical stuff you'd think about. Um, like in ideal society, you're more attractive if you have, um, a certain personality or a certain way of dealing with things or, you know, like you're useful. They, they, men and women take, they're basically their equivalent of showers or bath. I guess it's more, it's a, it's more like a sauna is how they take showers. They're called sweat tents and they do it, men and women together. And it's not like sexual it's literally just men and women naked sitting there chatting like they have a very different way of sexual culture than pretty much everybody else in randland so like everybody else would be like a man a woman naked they're gonna do the deed no that's not how the ideal think so be as it may i don't think it's necessarily because she's swaying that's just from fayil's perspective she thinks it is But she's like, do you mean to hold me all night? And, you know, he releases her and takes her knives and puts them in a belt. And he's like, those are mine. And he's like, forfeit. Berylane's punishment for fighting was to have you see her sent to bed like a willful child. This is why I think the appreciative smiles for. And yours is to lose these knives, you prize. I know you have others. If you argue, I might take those too. I will not have the peace broken. So she glares at him, but she suspected he meant just what he said. And those knives were made specifically for her by a man who knew what he was doing. The balance was just right. What first talk did you have with her? Why did she run like that? He's like, that's between her and me. Um, you will not go near, again anywhere near her. And I don't believe she started this. That one's weapons are not knives. But if either of you make trouble again, I will put both of you to carrying awful. Now, awful is basically dung. <laughs> now, the funny part about this thing, and she mentions it, where she's like, some of the tyrants thought they could keep on fighting their duels after I had declared... Well, he's saying this, but she, she's also thinking about it. Some of the tyrants thought they could keep on fighting their duels after I had declared peace on this place, but the smell of refuse carts soon taught them their mistake. Be sure you do not have to learn it the same way. And she's like, he reminds me of my father. Not that my father ever twisted my arm, but he had small patience with those who had made trouble whatever their position, and no one ever caught him by surprise. So she wondered if she could bait Berylene into something, just to see the first of Mayan sweating around among the refuse carts. But Ruark had said both of them, because if you go back to where it says, it says, if either 
of you makes trouble. Not if both of you make trouble. If either one of you makes trouble, I'm going to put both of you to the refuse cards. That's a very brutal rule, so to speak. But either way, she's like, well, Rorak said both of them, and her father meant what he said, too. Berylane. Something Berylane said when she was tickling the back of her mind. Ogier's Oath. That was it. An Ogier never broke an oath. To say Ogier Oathbreaker was like saying brave coward or wise fool. So Berylane meant what she said about taking the blacksmith away. Now, tuck that away for later. It's going to be used. It's well, not, not the phrase, but the, the actions related. He's like, well, she couldn't help but laugh aloud. And he's like, oh, you're going to take him from me, you silly peahen. <laughs> I, I read this and I was like, how did I never notice this before? <laughs> that is an interesting, silly little peahen phrase to say. And the first thing that popped in my head was Monty Python is like, you silly English connected. <laughs> now go away before I taunt you a second time. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's like, by the time you see him again, if you ever do, he'll be mine once more. And I'm assuming, and it's very difficult to really place it on this, but I'm assuming that Berylaine's idea with her Ogier's Oath is that she's going to take him from her before she gets him. And that's how this works with the Ogier's Oath. Because if, for example, Fayil was to get Perrin, and like a quote-unquote permanent level, um, then probably Berylene wouldn't go after him. She, she might still, but I think that would change things. Um, but I, I don't know how the man manners feel about specifically married or complete relationship folks. I... I I know they use it as their like sexual defense mechanism kind of thing, but I don't I don't know how they behave in that regard to the maximum. Um, there's hints in both sides of it throughout the series, but we'll figure it out as we go. <laughs> you know, he'll be mine once more, and she chuckles to herself and occasionally rubs her shoulders and walked off with a light heart. And then you're sitting there going like, "What just happened?" <laughs> That's all we can really think. But yes. That is the end of the chapter. And yeah, we learned a little bit about Perrin, interaction with Berylane, interaction with Fael, his true intentions about heading back to the two rivers, and Fael's intentions to get Berylane to, you know, leave him alone because she's being hyper jealous at the moment. Um, I'm starting to wonder if it's a Salvean trait, but. <laughs> There's not enough other data resources to really decide for a fact. But then um, we get the interruption of Ruark, but we also know that, you know, the first man was Judo. So, yeah, the uh, we know Ruark holds some sway over Berylane, and her judo would not work on him. <laughs> that's that's a given. Like, if the Aiel ever wanted to take over Mayanna, it's, it's done for. <laughs> like, there is no fans or buts. It's done for. <laughs> but, 
But um, yeah, Vail almost blows her cover because she's been kind of dodging who she is and all that jazz. So yeah, um, I think that's pretty much everything else. Uh, I'd love to hear what you guys' thoughts are on this. If you want to like to reach out to me on Facebook, you can through Tales of Red Arm or on Twitter slash X, which is at Tales of Red Arm. Or if you would like to, you can send me a direct email, which is typically probably the easiest way to contact me. It's just talesofredarm at gmail.com. Um, you can access through the Discord, through Facebook and Twitter slash X. But if for some reason you cannot find it or it's not working, you can always reach out to me directly in an email. I will send you a link and you are uh, able to get in at your leisure. And inside the Discord, I'm usually on Discord every single day. And I can uh, talk about Wheel of Time things, answer questions if there are any, and you know all that kind of stuff. Um, I love, obviously, talking about it. I'm doing a whole podcast on this, so <laughs> I clearly like this series. Yeah, I uh, hope you all had a good Christmas last week, and I hope you guys are going to have a good New Year's. So, uh, hopefully you guys will join me for Chapter 15. Um, we'll see you at that one if you would like to join me again. So, thanks everybody. Until then. We drink all night and dance all day, and on the girls will spend our pay. And when we're done, then we'll away to dance with Jack of the Shadows. We'll toss the dice however they fall, and struggle the girls be they short or tall. And follow young Matt wherever he goes to dance with Jack of the Shadows. We'll toss the dice however they fall, and struggle the girls be they short or tall. Then follow Lord Matt wherever he calls to dance with Jack of the Shadows. We'll give a yell with a bloody curse, and hug the maids, it could be worse. Let's ride away with the dark woods first to dance with Jack of the Shadows. Yeah.